good. Well, good morning, Emerge Church. How are we doing? Are you good? Great. What a great church to be a part of. Can we honour and thank the worship team who have led us so beautifully this morning? And uh, just stay on your feet. I've been in our, our Redcliffe campus this morning, which was outstanding. It was Redcliffe, wasn't it? Just getting disorientated. Redcliffe, it was fantastic. And what a great church. And it's a joy to spend today here. Uh, I've just heard so many great things about what God is doing through Emerge Church and the multiple campuses and Pastor Mark and Nina. Uh, it's a joy just to spend some more time with you guys today. Pastor Mark and Nina came and ministered at our leadership college few months ago, we shared a good meal together afterwards. And uh, you need to know that wherever you go in the nation, people speak very well of Pastor Mark and Nina Elmendorp. They're very highly regarded right across our nation. Really appreciate you. We honour you. Can we really honour Pastor Mark and Nina? Not golf claps. Can we really appreciate them? We love you guys. Thank you. And I uh, want to say good morning to everyone in Morayfield as well. Hey, everyone at Warner, can you welcome everyone at Morayfield? It's so great to have you connected with our service, Pastor Joe, the whole team. Such a joy to have you in church this morning. And hey, while we're on our feet as well, here in Warner. Hello. There we go. There's less subtle ways that you can get rid of the preacher than that. <laughs> I, um, while we're on our feet here in, uh, in Warner, um, it's also great to have Pastor Mari Cartledge in the room here in Warner. And some people are clapping because her reputation goes before her. But my wife and I have the, the great honour of leading Calvary Church. Uh, we're one church in seven locations across Queensland and South Africa. But that includes Calvary Townsville, which Pastor David and Mari led for many years. Grew up from a church of a, a few dozen people to a church of multiple thousands. Bought a hundred acres of land in Townsville pioneer to school, um, Sarah and I really get to stand upon the shoulders of what Pastor Mari and David Cartledge built. And I think it's fitting to honour Pastor Mari for what she's contributed to our movement. We honour you, Pastor Mari. Thank you for investment in our lives. Hey, I wonder if while we're on our feet in both locations, could we lift our hands to heaven if you feel comfortable? Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can start a brand new week in your house. Jesus, we're just so aware of your presence in Morayfield, here in Warner. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. Let today not just be words, let it not fall to the ground, but let there be something of the Spirit of God that takes truth and lights it up in our soul today. Let revelation come. Let our hearts be changed. Let us not just see you the way you ought to be seen, but let us see ourselves in light of you, I pray. Let faith rise in Jesus' name. Every person said... Amen, amen. Well, in Morayfield, here in Warner, why don't you high-five two people as you grab your seat. So good to have you in church. Fantastic. Well, as we're grabbing our seat, if we've not met before, uh, my name is Dustin. My wife, Sarah, and I uh, have got three children. We live on the Sunshine Coast. In fact, we've got a fourth child on the way. I think on screen we might have a photo of our family and uh, in Morayfield, I trust that you might be able to see that. But uh, we've got um, Hugo is our eldest son. He's six years of age. And then we've got Luca and Stevie. In that photo, Stevie looks like she's wondering which family she got adopted into. <laughs> she's not sure that she belongs in this one. And on the 24th of January, we are having baby number four. We've got another little girl coming. And some of you are like, man, you're well-planned. It's a planned Caesar. We're not that well-planned. 
first day of school, great day to have another baby. And when we found out the gender, we found out it was, we're having another little girl. Uh, I thought, gee, I need to have some words to my son. So we went and got the wheelie bin together. Dad and son chat. I said, mate, it's just you and me. You and me, three girls and mum. What are we going to do? And Hugo is six. He didn't miss a beat. He looked up to me and he just goes, escape. (laughs) I like you, son. You get it. You get it. I want to talk in this service, if you're taking notes, I want to talk to you from the thought, I guess if you are writing down a sermon title for today, if you're one of those people, you're like, give me the title, you could write this down. I'm right and I know it. I'm right. For some of you, it would be very easy to write that down. Just I'm right and I know it. Really this morning, I want to talk to you about spiritual confidence, about how to develop a spiritual confidence. Some of us would wonder, is it even possible to have spiritual confidence? I mean, when you think about the fact that God is perfect and you and I are less than perfect. God is holy, yet all of us have sinned. God is perfect and yet all of us are fallen and flawed. How on earth can any of us have any type of confidence before a holy God. Well, I've observed, um, having been in church for a little while, I've observed three common approaches that people tend to take to try to get confidence before God. The first approach is some people try to find confidence by comparing themselves to other people. Now, I know this wouldn't be Morayfield people or Warner people, but in Redcliffe, they do this all the time. (laughs) We try to develop confidence by comparing ourselves to others. And so we say, well, you know what? Yeah, of course, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as that person. Well, uh, yeah, I've made some mistakes, but I'm not as bad as them. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm not Hitler. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but but I'm not like that person. Many of us try to pump up our spiritual tyres by comparing ourselves to other people. I heard the story recently of two brothers. These two brothers were incredibly debauched in their lifestyle. I mean, these guys had a reputation around town. One of the brothers all of a sudden died. And the surviving brother went to the local pastor and he said, listen, we're not really church people, we're not really religious people, but would you do my brother's funeral? We don't know anyone in church, but, but, but you know, he's got a reputation around town, would, would you do my brother's funeral? Well, the pastor thought about it for a moment, he goes, oh, I don't know, you guys kind of got a bit of a reputation. And, and, and then he said, look, I'll pay you an awful sum of money. He named the amount and then he said, pastor, I've just got one request for you. When you're doing my brother's eulogy, would you please refer to him as a saint? I don't care what else you say, just please refer to my brother as a saint. Well, the pastor thought it over and he said, yep, I'll do it. Well, the day of the funeral came and the church auditorium was packed to the rafters. Everyone was there. And in the middle of the eulogy, the pastor begins to wax eloquent. And he says, the man that you see in the coffin today was a rotter. He did every filthy, nasty, horrible, wretched thing that you could ever think of doing. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) Who knows, you might be a saint compared to who? And that's the problem with building your spiritual confidence based on comparison. Who knows, if Mother Teresa walks in the room, you feel wretched. If someone of lesser standing walks in the room, you feel full of pride. Who knows, if you build your spiritual confidence based on comparison, you're either going to be filled with an insidious, 
devilish pride or, or you're going to be filled with an inferiority and despair. And so if I try to build my confidence before God based on comparison, I'm, I'm either, well, I'm going to be building on a very unstable foundation. Well, knowing that, other people try to develop spiritual confidence by reducing God down. You know, we know that no one's perfect and we know that we all come short in different areas. So rather than be intimidated by a holy God, what we do is we just recreate God. And we just, you know, fashion God to be a little less literal, a little more liberal. And we bring God down a few rungs so that, you know, he's kind of on our level. Someone once said that in the beginning, God created us in his image. And now we've returned to the favour. We just imagine that God is a little bit like us. It's a little bit like cutting the legs out from under a giant so you can look him in the eye. We kind of do that with God. But the problem is God is not at our level. Who knows, the only way that you can do that is by butchering the Bible and bringing God down. But who knows, that's not really a valid approach to spiritual confidence. Other people find confidence by accruing spiritual merit points. Now, maybe you've never heard this verbalized, but if you've grown up around church, you know how this system works. In Morayfield, they definitely know how this system works. You know, if you behave like a good Christian, you get merit points. If you attend church on a Sunday morning, you get merit points. If you come to the Sunday night service, just letting you know, you get a lot more merit points. Um, If you lift your hands in worship, merit points. If you keep your hands up even when your shoulders hurt, merit points. If you give in the offering, merit points. If you volunteer on a team, merit points. It's a bit like a driver's license, right? You know how you get demerit points when, when you get fines? No, nor do I, but others have told me about it. Well, you know, you get your Christian card. In order to retain your Christian license, you've got to do more good things than you do bad things so that you keep enough points in the balance that you can still look yourself in the mirror and call yourself a Christian. And so many people live by this merit point system. We also understand that there are demerit points. You know, when I was speeding in my car, demerit points. Listening to secular radio, demerit points. Supporting New South Wales in the state of origin, big demerit points. I mean... We understand it's a merit point system. Turning up late for church, demerit points. And so the problem with this, we're all laughing, but we all do it. In fact, some of us are in church this morning doing this very thing. Because we know we've got a few big things coming up in the future and we want God to be on our side. So we thought we'd come to church and start to clean up our act to try and just, you know, get a few points with the man upstairs. You don't have to amen. You can just wiggle your ear if you're feeling convicted because we all tend to do it. Who knows, if my faith experience becomes about earning more points in a seven-day period than I've lost in a seven-day period, then there is no rest for my soul, because I'm always living unsure and hoping that my spiritual bottom line is not in the red. And so that person becomes perpetually insecure before God, because how can I know if I've ever done enough to be Christian enough for Christ. And so you can see how in trying to secure some kind of confidence before God, we compare ourselves with one another, but that doesn't work. We try to reduce God, but you can't do that and respect the Bible. Or, or we try to accrue spiritual merit points, but, but that doesn't really result in any rest or peace. And so what do we do? Come back next Sunday and all will be revealed. 
Who, who knows, we all know that none of these models really work. In more I feel this morning, people know that none of these models really work. And so what can we do? This is where I'm so glad for the gospel of Jesus. This is where I'm glad that the message of Christ is good news for imperfect people like you and I. You see, the Bible says that God, who is holy, He knows that you and I could never be good enough for Him. You and I could never make ourselves righteous enough for Him. So instead, a holy, loving God took on flesh and He came down to us. Is there anyone in church this morning glad that He was willing to come to us when we were too imperfect to get to Him? And so He came down to us and He lived the perfect, righteous life that you and I all know that we should live and yet we all fail to live. You might be like, I don't fail to live it. Well, let's talk on January 1st. Because on January 1st, you'll be telling us all the things that you need to do better in the next 12 months to make yourself a better, more capable, comprehensive human. And then on January 2nd, you'll be deciding that 2023 is a better year to start. Because inwardly, we all know that we fail at our own standards, leave alone God's standards. And yet Christ stands alone because Jesus is the only one who ever lived a perfect, righteous life that was fully pleasing to the Father. In fact, check this out. Is the cameraman going to follow me? Great. Um, Check this out. On one occasion, Jesus says to a large crowd of people, um, which of you condemn me of sin? That's a bold question. If Premier Palaget asked that, let's not go there. If I said that this morning, which of you condemn me of sin? And my wife was in earshot, she'd be like, give me the mic. I got some things to say. And then my brother, my sisters, my mother, my dad, they would all line up, we'd be here till the 6 p.m. service because I'm sinful. And yet Jesus stands up and says, which of you condemns me of sin? And the crowd falls silent. Jesus stands before Pilate and Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Jesus' own executioners declared, surely this is the son of God. And so Jesus lives a perfect righteous life and then suffered and died on the cross. Obviously not for his sin, but for our sin. Jesus died for our sin in our place as our substitute. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, for our sake, for whose sake? For our sake. God the Father made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. That at the cross, Jesus didn't just do something for us, Jesus substituted Himself in our place. He took all of our sins so that we could receive all of His righteousness. Saint Athanasius said this, Jesus became what we are, that he might make us what he is. In fact, 600 years before Christ was born. Is everyone tracking this morning? In Moray Field, you're tracking? Praise God. (laughs) Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 verse 11, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish. This is speaking centuries before Jesus was even born. Speaking about the anguish that Jesus would experience on the cross, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant, who's that? This is an easy one. Like, you know how the answer to every question in church is Jesus? Yeah, this this is one of those ones. My righteous servant, Jesus, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear 
all their sins. You know, I grew up in and around church. I was in church as a kid. In fact, I used to operate the overhead transparency. Remember when we used to have those things in church before these fancy projectors? The OHT boy, that was me. Great power in church. You could turn those lyrics upside down, back to front, get everyone singing in tongues in a moment. It was incredible. Well, I always grew up around church. And and here's what I heard. If you repent, God will forgive you. Is that true? Does God forgive us of our sin? Yes, but I wanna tell you this morning, Emerge, Jesus does more than that. He doesn't just forgive us of our sin, He also then imputes His righteousness to us. Isaiah said, it's not just that He's gonna make many people to be forgiven, He's gonna cause you and I who put our faith in Him to be declared righteous. Let me illustrate the difference for you. Imagine this afternoon, uh, you, you head down to the Queen Street Mall and uh, you're just doing a bit of shopping and as you're shopping, you see Bill Gates. And you think, that's Bill Gates. I should go and talk to him. And so you, you hide your iPhone and, and, and you, you go over and you say, hello, William. Hello, Mr. Gates. Nice to meet you. And you strike up conversation, you know, talk about something not controversial. You know, what do you think about vaccines and stuff? <laughs> and then, I'm joking, I'm joking. Put your stones down. And, and so you get chatting. And he says, well, why don't we sit down and have a coffee? And you're like, sure, your shout. And so you sit down. And you start having a coffee with Mr. Gates and, you know, half an hour in, Bill Gates says to you, hey, bit of a weird question, but do you have any debt? And you say, well, yeah, I've got a little bit, got a mortgage and car loan, bit of student debt, a few unpaid parking tickets. And and he says, well, you know what, I'm feeling generous today. What about if I paid your debt? Now, all of you are trying to act like you wouldn't be that excited because you're all trying to give the impression that you don't have any debt. But who knows, if Bill Gates says, you know what, I'm going to clear your whole debt, I'll pay your mortgage, I'll pay your school fees, I'll pay your hex bill, who knows, that's a really good day. Again, some of you are playing it way too cool. When all your debt gets forgiven, that is a good day. And so you go, Mr. Gates, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I'm throwing my MacBook in the bin. I'm a Microsoft man. And so, so you're like, that's amazing that you would forgive all of my debt. That's incredible. And then he goes, yeah, yeah. And then he goes, you know what? And he reaches into his wallet and he pulls out a bank card. And he goes, this card is linked to my account. Here, why don't you take this? Well, who knows, a good day just turned into an unbelievable day. Why? Because when he forgave your debt, he took care of your past. But when he gave you a joint access to his riches, he took care of your future. And there's a lot of people in church who are grateful that Jesus took care of their past, but they've never caught a revelation that when he gave you his righteousness, he actually gave you faith for the future. And so there's too many people getting around church and they're like, oh, thank God I'm forgiven. Thank God I'm forgiven. Thank God I'm out of debt. I don't have a debt of sin and praise God for that. But the gospel is more than that. That's only half the good news. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you're not just forgiven and now neutral when it comes to righteous. You are positively right righteous because of what Jesus has done for you. Anyone grateful for Jesus this morning in the house of God? Come on in Morayfield here in Warner. Come on, can we give him praise this morning? The Bible says in Philippians 3 verse 9, I now no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Hey, if you're visiting church this morning, there's good news. You don't need to come for six months, pull your socks up, get your track record all squeaky clean to get good enough for God. 
that would be like taking a bath to go and have a shower. <laughs> Ever been to those swimming pools where they say you gotta have a shower before you hop in the pool? I hate those signs, I never obey them. That's why I'm jumping in the pool. Well, many people come to church like that. Well, I've got to clean myself up before I can come to Jesus. No, no, no. You come to Jesus, warts and all, as you are, and He forgives your sin, and then He gives you His righteousness as a positive standing before the Father. Can you say amen this morning? Let me share with you four things that happen when we know Jesus makes us righteous. Number one is this. Knowing Jesus gives me righteousness produces confidence. It produces confidence. Um, Have you ever been shopping on a budget? Grocery shopping. If you're a uni student, lift your hand. We know you have. Ever been to Coles on a budget and, and you're like, man, I'm hungry. And so you go to Coles and you're like, you know what, I'm going to get an eye fillet steak. And then you look at the price and you think, my goodness, that's a month's groceries. And so you, you put that down. And then you think, I might just get some lamb chops. And then you're like, and then you end up in the spam aisle. And, and you're like, I, rec- I, reckon, I reckon I've got the resource for spam. And then you think, yeah, just to, to, you know, avoid embarrassment, I'll just get noodles again. Yeah, and so you, you go to the counter and you've got one packet of 49 cent meagering noodles and, you know, the 12-year-old at the counter says, will that be all? And you're like, shut up. Yeah, and so you, you, you put the meagering thing there, they scan them and then they go, cash or card? And you go, well, card. And so you, you swipe and you've never been more nervous than in that 10 seconds when you're waiting is it going to say transaction approved or are you going to have to re- return the meager rings? Come on, has anyone been there? Has anyone been there? Why? Because you're just not sure that you've got enough in the account in order to believe. For that, well, many Christians actually live that way. When it comes to their faith in God, when it comes to their prayer life, when it comes to taking steps of faith and believing God, they always hesitate because they're just not sure that they're righteous enough. They're just not sure that they've got enough in the, the account to ever, so, so a whole lot of people in church put back on the shelf hopes and dreams and steps of faith because they think, you know, I could never, after the service, someone comes to you and says, oh man, I'm sick, would you pray for me? And you go, okay, what kind of sick? And they say, um, cancer, or you're gonna have to, Talk to Pastor Mark about that. It, like, I can deal with headaches, common flus. Not really the COVID flu, not that one, but I can deal with like, some of the, the smaller grade stuff. Why? Because we somehow think that we have earned our righteousness and earned our merit before God. And so many Christians live without a confidence and consequently they're saved by grace, but they pray by works. Uh, one of my favourite stories in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 27. Is everyone doing okay this morning? Yeah. Field, love you. Um, Genesis chapter 27, there's a story about Isaac and Rebekah. And the Bible says that Isaac is an old man. In fact, his sight is going and he knows that his days are numbered. And so he's got two sons though. He's got a son called Esau and he's got a son called Jacob. The Bible says that Esau, the elder brother, he was hairy and he was a hunter. He was kind of like Bear Grylls cross Mr. T kind of guy. And so um, then there was Jacob. The Bible says of Jacob that he was loved by his mother. He was a quiet, mild man who dwelt in the tent. He was like an early incarnation of those guys who love scrapbooking and hand sanitizer. That was kind of, that was kind of Jacob. And so the Bible says that Isaac, knowing he's about to die, he calls Esau in and he says, Esau, would you go out, hunt some game for me? Kill some animals, bring it back, make that stew that I love and I'll impart to you the blessing. And so Esau beats his chest and goes out to kill something. Meanwhile, Rebecca, mum, hears it because who knows, mums hear everything. And so mum says, all right, 
uh, Jacob, here's the plan. While Esau's out, we're going to go out to the backyard. We've got two little baby goats. We're going to kill the baby goats. And uh, Jacob's like, oh, can you do that? And so, um, and then, and then we're going we're, we're, we're gonna to take the meat and we're going to take the meat into your father and you're going to get the blessing that belongs to your older brother. And Jacob, he literally says, but what if my father feels my arms and he recognises that it's Jacob and not Esau? In other words, like he, he actually says in the Bible, my arms are smooth. It's like, I just exfoliated mum. Like, and so mum has a plan, because who knows, mums have always got a plan. So mum says, we're going to get the fur from the goats and put that on your arms. Let me just make a side note. If someone can put animal fur on and pretend to be you, you're just a hairy brother. And so, so they do it. So, so they, they make the stew, and uh, they, they put the, the animal skins on um, his arms. And then the Bible says they go to Esau's bedroom and they take the best robe that belongs to Esau and they put that on Jacob. And Jacob is just about to walk in to his father's presence and ask for the blessing. And the Bible says he, he hesitates because he says, what if he realizes that it's me and, and not Esau? He'll curse me instead of blessing me. And again, that's a picture of how so many people in church live. They hesitate at the presence of God. They never enter into the presence of God. They never enter into a life of faith because they think, well, what about if God realizes that it's me? He'll curse me for my audacity instead of blessing me. But aren't you glad that Christ became a curse for us upon the cross? And so the Bible says that Jacob, clothed in the garments of his older brother Esau, goes into his father's presence and obtains the blessing that only belonged to his older brother. You might say, weird story. Yes, but it points to a powerful truth. In the Old Testament, it happened by deception, but it was a foreshadowing of what Christ would do for us because there is an older brother who the father loves. There is a firstborn son who deserves the father's blessing and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says that on the cross, they stripped him naked as they strung him upon the cross and they cast his garments to the ground so that man, you and I, it was a picture of what would happen that you and I, even though we are stripped and shamed and naked because of our sin. We could be clothed in robes of righteousness that belong to our older brother. So we could come into his presence with boldness to find grace and mercy in time of need. Is anyone here today, you're grateful for an older brother, Jesus, who gave his best so that you and I could be clothed in... Listen, some of us are still walking into church carrying the shame of what you did last year. You need to come to Jesus and let it go. Because Let me say, is this making sense this morning? In Genesis, for the Bible buffs, in Genesis, we see Adam and he falls in sin and he's so aware of his sin that he's hiding, he's naked and he's ashamed. That's the first book of the Bible. You know what we see in the last book of the Bible? We see a multitude of people from every nation, tribe and tongue and they're, they're not naked, they're clothed. They're not ashamed, they're worshipping they're not hiding. They're standing in the presence of God and they're singing, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because that's what salvation does. When you understand what Jesus has done for you, you realise I'm no longer clothed in my sin, my shame, the mistakes of yesterday. I don't have to hide from God, but rather He has clothed me with righteousness and so I can lift holy hands, worship Him and believe for God's best in my life. Can you say amen this morning, church? Number two is this. I felt like that was pretty good preaching. Number two is this. Knowing Jesus gives me righteousness that produces consistency. Consistency. Um, let, let me tell you why this is really important. Um, I'll illustrate it this way. I hate theme parks. 
right? I know people think they're fun, but I've gotten old. Fun for me is a good coffee and a newspaper. Um, like theme parks are like, it's the worst. Even before Dreamworld had scandal, I didn't like Dreamworld. In fact, the last time I went to Dreamworld was when I was still trying to convince Sarah Louise Brooke to date me. Well, see that ring on my finger? I'm never going to Dreamworld again. Why? Because God invented gravity and all of those other rides that defy it are made by someone else. And so, like, what happens when you get on those rides? You go up and down and left and right and here and there. You're all over the place. Then what happens? You feel sick, and you get off the ride. Well, if I'm living with a spiritual confidence that's connected to my own performance and my own righteousness, who knows, my own performance is up and down, left and right. There are some days where I am so righteous, church. You wouldn't believe it. There are some days I am so righteous, I wake up before the Holy Spirit to do devotions. I have to wake him up in the morning. And, you know, I'll do my devotions out of the King James Version in Leviticus. And there is, I greet my wife with a psalm and a spiritual song when she wakes in the morning. And there are some days I am so righteous, but there's about 364 other days of the year when I'm dusting. And, and who knows, if my confidence is connected to my performance, well, it's going to be up and down and up and down and up and down and yo-yo all over the place. And this is why a lot of people leave church. They say, I, I tried Christianity, I couldn't do it. And I always think that's the saddest thing because you were never meant to do it. Doesn't the Bible say it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In this life, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who knows? It's not about me and my righteousness. It's about Jesus and his imputed righteousness that he gives you and I. And the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means I can walk into church, I can walk into Monday, and whether it's been a good week, a bad week, or anything in between, I don't lose my confidence, I don't lose my consistency, because I build my life on the firm foundation of His righteousness. Number three is this, knowing Jesus gives me righteousness produces kindness. Just hit your neighbor gently, say kindness. Kindness. Imagine that like kind people in church. I'm being tongue-in-cheek because who knows, we don't always have a reputation for it, do we? So, so how can you have Christians who can be so unkind? Well, think about it this way. When I realise that my righteousness is a gift, not a wage, not a prize, not a grade I earned in church school, it's a gift, when I realise that my righteousness is a gift freely given to me by Jesus, I've actually quit comparing myself to you. And so now I'm no longer filled with pride if I happen to think I'm better than you, but nor am I filled with despair if I think that I'm worse than you. And who knows, because I've stopped comparing myself to you, I no longer feel superior or inferior to you, which means I can actually just get on and bless you and encourage you and cheer you on and bear your burdens and be your biggest cheerleader. Why? Because your promotion, your ability, your blessing doesn't threaten or intimidate my identity because my identity is not built on me. It's built on Christ. And so who knows, that makes me the kind of person who is no longer looking down the to my left and right to see how I measure up. Now I'm just looking to the cross of Jesus with a heart full of gratitude and that makes me a kinder person. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, what do you have that God hasn't given you? 
And if everything you have is a gift from God, why do you boast as though it were not a gift? You know, when we realise this, if you get the promotion in church, I'm not threatened. Like, I thought I should have been the worship leader. Some days when I drive home from church, Sarah goes, you sung really loud this morning. That's all she needs to say. In fact, hey, tonight in church, tonight in church, we're going to talk about why I need to worship. Have you ever wondered about worship? Like, what's the deal with worship? Like, if God is secure, why do we have to tell him how good he is every Sunday? And if God is selfless, is it like words of affirmation is his love language? Is that why we have to do karaoke in every service? Like, what's the deal with worship? Tonight, we're going to talk about it. And I think it's really going to help us. And I'm believing there's going to be a real touch of God in church tonight. I'm going to see great miracles. Um, but, but you can get the promotion as a worship leader. doesn't threaten me. You can get the promotion to lead that ministry or lead that connect group or whatever it is. And none of it threatens me. In fact, I can cheer you on because none of it threatens my identity. Who knows, outside of church, it makes me a kinder person as well. Because I'm not looking at my neighbour or the colleague who works down the aisle and thinking I'm a better person than them. God didn't accept me and call me righteous because I was better than them. In fact, if anything, I was probably worse. I was morally sick enough, I knew I needed to go to the great physician. So probably my non-Christian colleagues are better people than me. It's just got really quiet in this church, Pastor Mark, like really quiet. That's why when people say, I went to church and it was full of hypocrites, like full of people. Listen, you are probably, probably gonna meet worse people in church than you meet in the world. This has just got real quiet. I'm not sure if I'm ever getting invited back. In the same way that when you go to a hospital, you're probably gonna find some people who are a bit sicker than the people you meet at the shopping center. Why? Because church is full of people who are wicked and bad and sinful enough, we knew we needed forgiveness. And so when I relate to my non-Christian friends, I don't relate to them looking down my nose, thinking that I'm somehow better than them. Not at all, because my righteousness is a gift given to me by Jesus. Number four, the last thought is this, as the band come back, knowing that Jesus makes me righteous gives me contentment. It gives me contentment. Let me explain why. If Jesus makes me righteous, then you know what? That actually frees me from the need to be doing spiritual things in order to feel righteous. Romans 3 verse 22, in Morayfield, I want you to catch this. It says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Let me just close with this. Maybe you're in church this morning and you're a plumber. Maybe you're in church this morning and you deliver bread. Maybe you're in church this morning and you're an engineer. Maybe you're in church this morning and you're a full-time parent. Let, Let me just say this. It's Jesus that makes us righteous, not our vocation. It's the cross that makes us righteous, not where we get our paycheck. And when I understand that, I understand that there is no such thing as a righteous vocation or an unrighteous vocation. Who knows, church, that the tradie who swings a hammer is just as righteous as the pastor who swings a latte. I love how the mood music just came in at the right time then. Who knows it's true? Who knows if it's true, as the Bible says, that our righteousness is in Christ, then the servant is just as righteous as the CEO. The architect is just as righteous as the archbishop. The full-time mum is just as righteous as a full-time minister. And when I understand that, that frees me 
from the need to feel like if I'm not pursuing a Christian vocation, then somehow I'm a lesser Christian than the people on staff at the church. Listen, it's not where I get my paycheck from. It's not where I go to work on a Monday that makes me righteous. It's where I go for salvation. And if I go to Jesus, then I am just as righteous as anyone else in this room. Can you say amen this morning? Now, this, this builds contentment in my heart. You know, it actually, it actually makes me incredibly flexible in church life because I could be preaching the sermon on Sunday and next Sunday I could be cleaning the toilets. Now, I'm not, it's, it's, it's an analogy. I won't be here next Sunday, but, but go with me. Ne- next Sunday, I could be cleaning the toilets next Sunday because who knows, it wasn't the pulpit or the preaching that made me righteous. It was the cross that made, do you catch what I'm saying this morning? And, and so cleaning the toilets next Sunday, or directing the cars in the car park, or serving the children in the kids' ministry, or doing whatever in the life of the church. None of it has any effect upon me. In fact, insecurity doesn't even come on my radar. In fact, I've got this deep-seated contentment because it's Christ that made me righteous. And so when I do that, I can hold everything with an open hand because it's all just a gift of God's grace that He allows me to steward. But it's not contingent on my righteousness or my status before God. Has this helped anyone this morning? I want you to know this morning in Morayfield, here in Warner, I want you to know you're not just forgiven. You're not just getting through and okay, oh, I'm neutral. Thank God my debt's forgiven. You're far more than that. In Christ, you are positively righteous. So start to live like that. Start to worship like that. Start to pray like that. Start to dream like that. Start to carry your head high like that. Why? It's not about me and how worthy I am. It's about Him and how worthy He is. Come on, in both locations, can we stand to our feet? We're just gonna take a moment to pray. And in Morayfield, here in Warner, I wonder if we could close our eyes just right across both auditoriums. Love to pray for us this morning. There'll be people in church today that say, you know what, I needed to hear that. Because to be honest, I'm in church just, I'm, I'm trying to get a few points with the man upstairs. Listen, don't play that game. God doesn't want you to play that game. Just come to Jesus. Receive the free gift of His righteousness. So there'll be other people in church and you, you kind of, grateful that you're forgiven, but you wouldn't say that you've got any confidence. Well, today you're going to leave this place saying, Jesus, I thank you for your righteousness. You became what I was so that I could become who you are, righteous before God. Wonder if in both locations we could pray. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, if you feel comfortable, why don't you lift hands to heaven? Just as a show of faith in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the free gift that you gave us at the cross. Jesus, we thank you that you took the worst of who we are. You took all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt. It was heaped upon you. You were rejected so that we could be brought near. You took our sin so that we could receive your righteousness. You were shunned so that we could be embraced by a Father in heaven. Lord, I'm praying today that this truth might strike as a revelation in our hearts. I pray that the prayers we pray would start to lift higher. You know, I really sense there's people in church this morning and there's dreams, there's prayers, there's steps of faith that you've put back on the shelf. But today the Holy Spirit's saying, come on, come boldly. Start to pray again, start to dream again. Start to lift the ceiling of what's possible because with Christ, you're righteous. With Christ, you're a son or a daughter of God. You're not just forgiven, you're righteous. You're welcome into the Father's presence. Lord, let that truth strike in our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Can we give Jesus a great shout of praise today?